Thank you so much for coming this morning. We're in a series on the book of Romans, and the title of today's message is What Real Love Looks Like. Now, I wish I had time to go around and ask each one of you, tell me what you think love means. Uh, Explain that to me. Show me what love means. And then how do you put that into action? And this is actually what the Apostle Paul is explaining to us about what real love is and what God expects for his people. You know, on Sunday nights, we're doing a series, and last Sunday night, we introduced what's called the grand narrative of Scripture. In other words, if you were to explain to someone, what does the Bible mean? In less than three or four minutes, what would you tell them? So we went around the room and had some fun. But the bottom line is, God made man in his image and in his likeness. And part of what that means is, God made you for a relationship with him, He made you with the ability to communicate with him and know him intimately. And God also made you for fellowship. So a two-pronged purpose, relationship and fellowship. And in Genesis chapter 1, God made man and woman so that they would reign upon the earth. As you know, sin happened and man fell. And what is the result of that? Well, we're living in it right now. But what is God's plan for the future? One day, Revelation 21 and 22, we will reign again, those of us who know Christ, in the new heaven and new earth, even upon this earth for a short period of time. So I hope you you understand what your plan is in that and how God wants us to live and behave. And one of the characteristics he wants us to display in this life is the issue of love. Last week we talked about submission to the government God puts government over us. We are, the, you know, we are Americans, by the way. We the people. We appoint them. So don't complain because you're the one that voted them in. But if you don't like it, change it, right? But those who are in there, as long as they obey God's principles, what are we to do? We're to obey. When they tell us to do something that's against God's will, we tell them no because there's a king who's greater than they are who will one day rule. But until then, we are to be faithful citizens who are involved uh, submitting to the authority that's over us. Now Paul is going to change and he's going to tell you as a believer in Jesus how you are to live among unsaved people. Okay? When you ask the question, what should my life be like in front of unsaved people, what should it be? Well, Paul's going to paint the picture here in Romans 13. So I have it on the screen in the ESV. Let me read the whole section and we'll go back and pull out three ways that we should live before unbelievers, okay? Owe no one anything. Okay, what what does that mean? It means don't owe them anything. We'll talk about that. Except to love each other. So the only debt you have is to love one another. Okay, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law for the commandment, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now what is love? Here it is, you ready? Talk about practical. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. You don't do to someone what you don't want someone doing to you. Therefore, love is fulfilling the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now 
than when we first believed. What does that mean? I'm glad you're asking all these questions. <laughs> the night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness and sexual immorality, sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Three ways that we're to live in this world among unbelievers, especially here. The first way, Paul says, is we are to pay up. Pay up. Now, I'm going to tell you, bottom line here, one of the worst Christian testimonies you can ever have, hear me carefully, is not paying what you owe. It's terrible. And I know sometimes we get in financial situations that we shouldn't have got into and we can't pay our bills. I'm just simply saying, if you, if you owe someone, whether it be the power company or the electric company or a contractor or somebody for your car, you borrowed money from them, Paul says, that number one, the way you're to live among unbelievers is pay them what you owe them. Now, there are a lot of people who think that this verse means that we should never be in debt. That's really not what Paul's saying. What Paul is saying is we should pay our bills. And then he explains to us that, you know, sometimes we do get in debt. You can read other passages in Scripture that talk about debt. Proverbs talks about, you know, it's not wise to be indebted or to sign for a debt you can't pay. It doesn't say you should never co-sign. It says you should never co-sign and put your house up for something you can't pay for. It also says, basically, that you should live within your means. If you make a $50,000 salary, then you should live on about a $30,000 salary. Because you always should be putting something back. And we always talk about Dave Ramsey's financial principles here. That, you know, you pay your debts off, and then you basically start building wealth so that you can live like nobody else, so that you can give like nobody else. God didn't create us to be rich hoarders. He created us to be generous givers. And that's what every Christian should try to grow into. Not that safety net of security, per se, but they should grow to be givers. So point number one, we should pay up. Okay, so if we owe anyone a debt, we should be paying our bills. But now he's going to shift gears here, by the way. And I think I put this NIV translation. That's why it's always good to read different translations. Listen to this, the sense of the NIV. Let no debt remain outstanding. I like that. Now, that is not necessarily literal, but that is the sense of exactly what Paul is saying. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt of love to one another. Now, you are, by the way, as a Christian this morning, in debt. And you want to know what debt you are in? You are in debt to love other people the way God loved you. You say, well, let me tell you something. You don't know my mother-in-law. <laughs> or you don't know my neighbor. No, I don't. But God does. And he wants you to show them who he is. You know, I don't know about you. Have you ever thought about your life before Jesus? How lovely of a person you were? Yeah, you know, 
I look at my life before the Lord and sometimes even after the Lord and I say, how in the world could God ever love someone like me? Because before you come to Jesus, you know who you think about? You think about yourself. Because you're on the throne. Well, after you trust Christ as your Savior and believe on Him for eternal life, you're not on the throne anymore. He's on the throne unless you kick Him off. And by the way, we make bad kings. We need to allow Him to be on the throne of our life. But when we do that, we are His representative. And what are we to do? We are to extend His love to people, and we are to pay them the debt that we owe. And Paul talks about here, by the way, he had Jews and Gentiles in the church of Rome, and he tells them, you want to argue about the Ten Commandments? So let me just stifle all that. You want to know how to fulfill them? This is how you do it. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's how you'll fulfill them. You don't have to worry about stealing and covetousness and immorality and all those things because if you love someone else like you love yourself, then you won't do wrong to them. So pay them what you owe them. Very fascinating passage. I put this quote on the screen from Tom Constable. Listen to what he says. Some Christians who have trouble controlling their indebtedness have found motivation for cutting up their credit cards in this verse. But Paul did not say that all borrowing is wrong. We do have a debt that continues forever, and that is to love one another. This debt is our obligation to seek the welfare of our fellow human beings. Something to think about this week as we try to make excuses on why we shouldn't be nice and extend love to other people who don't deserve it. We should be very mindful. Now Paul does say in Romans 13, we're to honor who honor is due, respect who respect is due, pay money to who money is due, and then as believers in Jesus, realize that we are in debt to show people love who love is due. Now as we think about this, and we think about how to do this for other people, you know, Jesus answers the question, who is my neighbor? Because of course we'd all ask that question, well, who is my neighbor? And the Jews ask him this question. I'm sure you're familiar of the story of the great, the Good Samaritan, uh, the man who was passing through, and uh, this man was beat up and bruised on the road, and the Samaritan stopped and helped him, while all the other religious people and the godly people, quote unquote, and the good people just walked right on past them. And Jesus answers the question, you want to know who your neighbor is? It's whoever God puts in your life that needs you. That's who your neighbor is. Anyone who is in need. And what are we to do? We are to pay what we owe. We're to give them the love that we want and that we need. Okay, point taken? All right, good. Move on. I will. The second way that we're to live in front of people is we are to wake up. Wake up. I should scream that out this morning, but I don't want to bust your ears. You know, I think, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, by and large, it is so easy to nap, to doze through life. I mean, we just go through life not disciplined. We live how we want to live. We, you know, on Facebook hours and hours a day. We're watching TV hours and hours a day. And I'm not fussing now. I'm just saying how it goes. And the next thing you know, you bat your eyes and a month is gone. And six months is gone. And a year is gone. 
And the next thing you know, you've lived your life and gray hair starts popping out on this and falling off up here. And, and you look around, you go, where's my life? Where, where's it going? And there's opportunities that we miss because we have wrong priorities. And this is basically what Paul is saying here. Christians, wake up. Now, somehow or another, we have members in our family that are able to sleep through three hours of alarm clocks. You ever had anybody like that? I won't mention any names in my family. But nevertheless, you know, some people do work midnight shifts, and that is a hard shift. And when you want to get up the next day and you set an alarm, you know, it is easy to get your ears and your body accustomed to hearing the for minutes and half hours and hours. And one particular family member we have works midnight, and yes, I do feel sorry for him because I had to do that treacherous, awful thing too. It's terrible. But anyway, you can hear the window open, and you can hear the alarm clock going off. And this week, I was walking past the window, and, hear, and I thought, you know what? Listen, God gave me this illustration. This is the illustration of the Christian life. We are laying there with the alarm going off. Boom, boom, boom. God brings people in our life we may never see again, we may never get to touch again, and what do we do? We sleep through it. We could take advantage of this opportunity to speak into their life or build a relationship with them or show them the love that nobody else will ever show them. But what do we do? We just sleep. We sleep. So Paul rattles our chain and says, Wake up. Notice I'm going to put the text back on the screen. I thought I put it on the screen. I must not have. So I'm going to read it. 13. Uh, I'm down here in verse uh, 11. Besides this, you know the time. Besides this. What is this? This in 13.11 refers to all the instruction in chapter 12 leading up to this. You are to dedicate your body as a living sacrifice to God, holy and acceptable to Him. You are to use your spiritual gift. You are to love one another. You are to be in submission. You are to pay other people what you owe them, and especially love. But he says, besides this, all this stuff I've said, you know the time. Well, well, what time is it, Paul? Well, it's shortly after 11 here, but that's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is every believer knows that since the moment Jesus came the first time, that he is coming back. Now, the mystery about God is he doesn't tell us when Jesus is coming back. But he does tell us in certain places that he will appear when no one expects him. And you know, it's easy to look back at time. I was talking to an unbeliever just a few days ago who said, I don't believe this God stuff you talk about. I mean, God says He's coming back. It's been 2,000 years. Where's He at? Where's He at? And I said, you know what? You're just like me. You're as impatient as I am. But God is exactly where He's supposed to be. And He's going to come back exactly when He wants to come back. And the question is not, you know, me to tell God when He should come back. The question is for me to be submitting to Him and walking with Him and be ready so that whenever He returns, 
As 1 John 3 says, I won't shrink away when he comes back. You know, I always think, and by the way, somebody shared this thought with me. I always think whenever I'm tempted to do something wrong, what would it be like if while I was in the midst of doing that, the Lord happened to return? You know, that's all you have to think about. What would it be like if, boom, in the twinkle of an eye, he returns right in the middle of my self-gratification or my pleasure? That doesn't mean that he won't take me. But how will I feel in his presence? And that is a great motivation, by the way, for righteous living. Listen to what Paul says. You know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. You say, well, wait a minute, Paul. Salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed? What are you talking about? You remember the theme of Romans that the just shall live from faith unto faith? Faith is what gets you into the Christian life. You believe on Jesus. You trust Him for eternal life. He gives you eternal life. And then you have to live by faith through that life to honor and glorify Him. Not to keep your salvation, but listen for the ultimate package of your salvation. God saved you to give you eternal life. He declared you righteous before God. Get ready now. He gives you an opportunity on this life to live and earn rewards for Him. And when He comes back, He's going to give you a glorified body and He will reward you for whatever you have done faithful in this body. Now that's what you call a gracious God, by the way. So what are we doing in this time that He's giving us to live our life in faithfulness to Him so that when He returns, we will be rewarded? By the way, in the next chapter, chapter 14, next week's sermon, we are going to be talking about the time of the judgment seat of Jesus. Whether you know it or not, that's what you should be living for because that is going to determine what we do in eternity, what role we have in eternity. This, this life, by the way, folks, is like a trial. We are given opportunities by God. We are to take advantage of those opportunities and live by faith, even in the midst of suffering and persecution and tragedy and so forth. We are to be faithful, and God will reward us. And Paul says, wake up. Wake up. Understand the time. Your salvation is nearer today than it was yesterday. Can I read it this way? Your glorification is nearer today than yesterday. Whatever trial God puts into your life, listen, accept it as from His hands. It doesn't say you have to like it. Live with it. Live through it. Trust Him to give you the strength to persevere. And God will reward you. Tom Constable writes, the night here represents our earthly life, plagued as it is with spiritual darkness and danger. When the Lord Jesus calls us to Himself at the rapture, which the day is near, a new day will begin for us in which we walk and live in sinless light. Won't that be wonderful? I mean, the day He appears, listen folks, all the political drama, 
all the world drama, everything that's going on that just pesters and drags at your soul will be gone. All of the temptation that you fight and struggle with and strive after, all of the battles that you have in life and relationships with other people, listen to me, they're gone. All the sickness and all the problems that we have in this body and in this flesh and in these spirits and the depression and the anxiety, it's gone. You're never going to have it again. It's gone. So he writes, in view of this prospect, we need to prepare for it by laying aside all evil deeds. That is, the deeds of darkness. Lay them aside like a garment and putting on deeds of holiness, the armor of light. Paul called these new clothes armor because we're still at war with sin and the forces of evil. And anybody that lives in this world says amen to that. We are. Stuart Briscoe writes these words, When the apostle wrote Romans 13, 11, it's high time to awake out of sleep, he was introducing a note of urgency to the epistle. This was evidently necessary either because he thought his readers might have dozed off during his public sermon. More likely because the believers in Rome had fallen into a state of spiritual lethargy and ineffectiveness. He exhorted them to rouse to reality. A word that is always appropriate to people living in a world where fantasy is sometimes more pleasant than reality. I almost made that the title to my sermon. Fantasy versus reality. Fantasy, we want it to be just like this. Reality, it's not like my fantasy. Fantasy, I want this person to behave this way and I want them to treat me this way. Reality, this person treats me exactly the opposite. Now how am I going to deal with that? Am I going to see this as God allowing someone in my life that's difficult and me to extend love to them to remind me how gracious God was to me? As a husband, am I going to love my wife when she irritates me? Or am I going to take opportunities to just get her back with revenge whenever the opportunity comes? As a wife, am I going to submit to the leadership and the headship of my husband even though I don't agree with what he does and I'm going to tell him that I disagree with him because that's my responsibility as his other half? And if he doesn't listen to me and my wisdom and he wants to be foolish, then he can go on and do it and I'll still love him in the middle of his foolishness, but I'm going to tell you something. He's wrong but I'll submit to him. When children get irritated at their parents because they finally learn that we're not perfect, we make mistakes, we prejudge, we go ahead and say who's wrong when it's really not that one, it's the other one. And we do things or we don't do things that we should and you know, children see their parents with all their flaws and faults and their tempers and they're, sometimes they're bad mouth, bad attitude. And a child has to make a decision. Am I going to honor my father and mother? Or am I going to just let them know what I really think about them? And when that child decides, you know what? God tells me, honor my father and mother. He doesn't say if 
if I like them, if I agree with them. He says we are to show them honor. And the same thing's true for parents to their children. You know, we love our children, and sometimes our children do foolish things. And as parents, you know, I heard one dad say this one time, well, my son made his bed, let him lay in it. I was like, wow. So what did I tell him? I didn't say a word. I just simply said, is that really how you feel? He said, that's exactly how I feel. He made his bed, let him wallow in it. So I listened to him, and I just looked at him, and I went, hmm, close my eyes, Father, this one is all yours because I can do nothing with him. So I told him, I said, well, I can only say this, that your son's relationship to God will go no further than your willingness to show him love that God showed you. Doesn't mean you have to endorse what he does. Doesn't mean you have to agree with it. But I'm going to tell you something. You are his father, and you better love your son because you can rule him out of your life. But if you want a relationship with him, I'm going to tell you something that's going to be more, empower, more important than your, your righteousness and your rules. So humble yourself and love your son. It didn't go over too well, but nevertheless, I felt like I should have shared it. Rouse from fantasy and embrace reality. Wake up, he says. Wake up. And then the third way that we live among unbelievers is that we dress up. I think I put this up there. Yes, no, I didn't. I'm going to read here chapter 13. I'm going to read verse 14. Paul writes, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Now, what is the concept here that Paul is trying to get across to us? Very practical, by the way. Every day that you get up, you dress yourself. Now, you might be a weirdo like me and have a closet that's hanging, and you know I don't like to go in and mix and match, so I put my shirts on one rack, and I rotate them. The one I wear, I put here, and I start back here, and I work my way through it so I have a different color every day. Well, as it goes, I pick out my pants for... Uh, that matches my shirt. But what I do every day that I do that is I say, how do I want to be represented today? Now, if I have a a meeting that's like a professional meeting, then I need to dress in nice professional clothes because I don't want to go into a meeting in my Carhartt pants with grease all over me. I do that when I go to my garage. But I'm going to go and I'm going to represent myself because that's who I want to be. If I'm going to go out and work with my neighbor or something, I'll put on my old scroungy clothes and I'll go out because I won't even know I'm not afraid to get dirty. So it depends on what you're going to do. So what Paul says here is basically, and if you can see that picture that I put up there, that's armor. He says, Christian, understand the time and put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now think about this. Every day that we live our life and we get up, we have the opportunity to realize that Jesus is present in our life. And Paul says, just like clothes that you put on your body every day, this is what you must do every day of your life. You have to realize and put Him on. 
start our day with Him. When our eyes wake up in the morning, we realize, oh, you know, what do you say? First thing, the morning, oh, I've got to get my coffee or I've got to go check my phone. First thing we should say is, thank you, Lord, for a night's sleep, even if I didn't sleep the whole night. Help me honor you today. Boom, right out of our mouth. We get up. We're thankful. Hopefully we go feed ourselves something spiritual. Because if you don't feed yourself something spiritual, the enemy will make sure that you feed something sensual. I want to share with you what someone wrote, wrote to me about this putting on the Lord Jesus. Are you paying attention? Because this was gold. And by the way, I asked for permission, and they granted it. This one person was writing, and they were talking about how to overcome flesh and desires. And they wrote, I will say for myself, these resources have been great helps, but there are only two things that have really worked for me. Number one, confession to other men. This is powerful. In other words, you are not going to be able to defeat the darkness by staying in your holy closet on your own and never letting anyone know what's going on in your life. Because that's right where Satan wants to keep you. He wants to keep you in the darkness. But the moment you step out of the darkness and you go to another brother and you say, I want to tell you something about my life. I am doing this. Let me tell you something, folks. The walls begin to shatter. Because that requires great humility and it causes us to take our pride down and show who we really are. And by the way, let me burst your bubble this morning in case you think you're impenetrable. You are capable of doing anything that the most degraded unbeliever is capable of doing. Don't fool yourself. You can make bad decisions. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, please understand me. Given in a certain circumstance, you are capable to do something really bad. I know believers who have extorted money, who have lied, who have bribed, who have got caught in sexual traps, who have defamed themselves and their families by things that they've done. And when you begin to listen to them, I want you to hear me. The number one reason why they continued to fall is because they were too proud to go seek someone else out and admit to them what they had done. And they didn't have anyone else in their life to be there with them, to help hold them accountable, to lift them up and to pray for them. And the devil ate them alive. Confession to other men. Listen to what they said. Light is the best disinfectant and sin thrives in darkness. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, or Ephesians, whenever you say something, whenever you confess something, whenever you expose something, you put light on it. You know what happens when you put light on darkness? Darkness leaves. And by the way, it doesn't take much light to dispel darkness. But the moment we confess, light shines. Darkness dissipates. Number one, confess. Listen to what he said. The second thing is reading the Bible every single day. And I don't mean mindless reading. 
I mean reading a paragraph, meditating on it, and then writing down a paraphrase in my own words. You ever done that? This is golden. He reads a certain paragraph and when, he's, when it hits him, he's thinking about it, he rewords what that means to him. He didn't change the Bible's meaning. He's making it real to himself. And listen to what he goes on to write. I know that it sounds cliche. Just read your Bible. But it works. Why does it work? Because my mind can't be in both places at once. In the Word and in sin. It just doesn't happen. You ask any man after he stumbles, and I guarantee you he has been slacking in his devotions in the days beforehand. I, I read this and I was like, you know what? This is one of the few times that someone has sent me something that I would frame. This is quote worthy. This is something you should write in your heart. Everyone needs someone. And when you have darkness going on in your life, confess. And if you want to get rid of the darkness, put the light of God's Word into it, and it'll take it away. It'll replace it, because both will not operate at the same time. Wow! That's powerful. As we sum, listen to what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. He writes, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have, no, uh, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Now let me go back and read this so that you understand the future context. Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you for you yourselves, because you read the Old Testament and you know what it says, you are fully aware that there's seven more years in the tribulation period that are coming upon this earth and they're going to come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there's peace and security, we've got our new iPhone. We've got our leader that we want who's going to bring unity and peace and diversity and equity and all these wonderful things and we're all going to get together and sing Kumbaya. He says, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. Now all you mothers who have had babies, you know what that means, don't you? And I watched four of them come. I know what it means too. When the labor pains start and the baby's coming, you know what's going to happen? There's going to be a baby. And nobody's going to stop it. And when God's ready to send Christ back and when He's ready to bring this world into His culminative time where He's going to actually judge again, guess what? It's going to happen. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of light, children of the day. 
We are not of the night or of the darkness, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of our salvation, the hope of our deliverance, the hope of our glorification, and to live in the light of His coming. We are to love unconditionally, and we are to live righteously. Why? Because Jesus is coming again. And He might even come today. What would you do if He came today? Let me ask you a question. Who has He put in your life that He expects and desires you to extend His love to? Who needs to wake up because we've drifted off into sleep in our Christian life? And who needs to dress up and practice the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ in our life through the power of His Spirit every day? And if all of us can't answer me, 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 you need to go back and listen to this recording again. Because this is a message for all of us. Wake up, pay up, and dress up. Because the coming of the Lord Jesus is near. Are you ready? I hope you are. Father, thank you so much this morning for your word. Thank you for the challenge. Thank you for Jesus, our Savior, who is going to return. You've put us here to carry out your work until the time in which you return. May we be found faithful. And Father, for those who struggle with sins and different issues in their life, I pray that you'll give them victory. Help us to wake up and deal with the problem. May we seek out another brother or sister, whatever the case may be, someone that we can talk to that you've put into our life. May we be in your word daily. May we submit to your spirit when we know not to do certain things and when we should do others. Give us the wisdom and the strength, the motivation and the power to do that. And I pray that you would break the chains of darkness as we turn on the word of light. Help us to be good representatives of you this week, and we'll give you the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.